Hello all, come, come, and join me round my flickering flame. I'm so glad to see that you have returned to continue our tale, for nothing could do more to warm the heart of an old bard with a passion for magic. When last we left Embrosk, he had reunited with Felon, two days' walk from the Wall of Ruins. He had also found himself in possession of the liar that holds the secret to his fate. And so now I again invite you to come with me as we join our hero in his trials and in his triumphs in this grand tale of gold, bones, and leather. In the pitch black of night, Io sat atop the ruins of Invigeri, alongside Kiana and two other elves, one an old man with a newly healed burn on his face introduced himself as Kallax, and the other, a young elf who barely reached Io's elbow, called himself Castor. A small fire crackled in the center of their small circle, casting shadows across their faces. I want to try it one more time, Io said, turning to Kiana, who sat on a rock beside him. At some point, the rock had probably helped hold up the monstrous walls of the castle. Now it sat defeated among its ruins. Kiana sighed. You know, you might be able to do this yourself in a few days' time. I also might not. You told me that we might find the secret to we ought to hear. That's a pretty big might. Until that might comes to fruition, this will be the closest to magic that I will ever be able to do. Fine, she said with another sigh. This was the fifth time that Io had asked his elven companions to join him to them in communal magic. At first, the elves had been delighted to join with the tall, red-headed ogre. But Kiana, the one that initiated the bond, was quickly becoming exhausted. You know what to do, she said. He nodded and looked directly into her soft brown eyes. After a second, he felt the slight pressure of her mind against his. At first, he resisted. It was still strange allowing someone to infiltrate his body with magic. But he breathed steadily, in and out, and with each breath, he let down a barrier to his mind, until finally they were connected. The connection wasn't so much a melding of minds as it was a melding of energy. It was as if each of them had a separate meal at dinner, but each was allowed to pick some food off the plate of the other. It was precarious and vulnerable. Io knew that Kiana, an experienced practitioner of communal magic, could if she wished, take over his body and use his entire store of energy for whatever purpose she wished. However, that was in and of itself part of the bond. The bonds of communal magic could only be created if there was trust between the two parties, or so Kiana had explained it. Connected by magic, 
Ayo and Kiana were able to explore each other's minds and beings. He could sense her loyalty to Calix and Castor, and their leader, a dark-skinned elf. There was a palpable sense of anxiety within her. She knew her existence rested on the edge of a knife, which could slip in any direction and cut her. She didn't communicate this by words exchanged through their minds. Instead, he could feel where her various energies were concentrated, some on maintaining the bond with her compatriots, some on dissecting the problem at hand. She, in turn, could sense his curiosity and excitement at the prospect of achieving his lifelong goal, but also the sense of doubt he felt, the doubt that this was anything more than a false hope, or worse, an intentional trick. Io loved the feeling. It was the ebb and flow of magic that he had always dreamed of. Though he knew, on an intellectual level, that Kiana alone created the bond, and that Kiana alone had control over it. Still, while they were connected, the magic flowed between them effortlessly. As they cautiously explored each other, he saw the image of the human Embrosk flash through her mind. There was contempt there, and righteous anger. There was also fear. Fear that he wouldn't show up. Fear that he would be unable to find the book fear that he would not agree to hand it over. Kiana felt him access those feelings and gently shut access to that part of her mind, but she did not break the bond completely. She instead directed him to the other elves with whom she was always connected. She showed him their steadfastness, their determination, and their earnest desire to achieve what Io himself had always wanted. She subtly added some energy to his determination, so it outbalanced his growing fears. He, in turn, clunkily added some energy to the part of her mind focused on trust and companionship, hoping that it would add to her trust of him. After ten minutes of this back and forth, Kiana broke the bond. You're getting better at that, she said. Well done. You're beginning to understand the extents and limits of the connection, the extent to which it's a give and take. He nodded. This was the first time he had successfully gifted energy to her, and only the second that she had gifted some to him, without him immediately shutting her out. It still feels odd, he said. It's so vulnerable. You grow used to it, she said. Your kind isn't very trusting by nature, so you still put up some walls. It just feels wrong to let someone into my mind that much. It feels wrong because you're looking at it from a defensive perspective, she responded. It's not about allowing someone else to purge the depths of your mind and your body and the magic that resides within both. It's about trusting that they won't do that, even though they could. He nodded, staring into the flickering flames of the fire. She had explained this all before. In fact... When she was explaining the intricacies of magic, she sounded much less like her normal, cryptic, trickster self, and a lot more like, well, actually, when she talked about magic, she was a lot like Embrosk. How does Embrosk factor into all this? He asked out loud. I sensed your distrust of him, 
perhaps even more than distrust. But still, it is at your bidding that he comes here. He is crucial to your plan, isn't he? The elves all glanced at each other, not so much in surprise as in concern. Finally, a small smile played out along Calix's lips as he nodded. The book is his to find, ours to have, and yours to learn from. Io shook his head. What does that mean? It means we all seek the same thing for different reasons, Castor said, and we all have our own role in finding it. You all talk in riddles, Io said. You almost make me miss the humans. Is that so? Castor said, laughing. They were the ones that did that to your face, yes? He gestured to Io's scar. Io touched the burn marks on his face. They still sometimes pained him. Still, he smiled at the joke. Yes, they were the ones that came after me with torches and pikes. But at least they were straightforward about it. I didn't have to ask a thousand questions to find out what they thought about me. Calix chuckled, but then his expression grew somewhat somber as he touched his own burn mark in turn. When he spoke, his voice was lower and darker than Io had ever heard an elf speak. Even the best humans can't control their most violent impulses. Io wondered what the story was behind Calix's burns, but unsure how to ask such a question, he refocused back on the task at hand. Am I really the one that's going to do this? After all these centuries, am I really the one to bring magic back to ogre kind? Io wasn't expecting an answer to the question, so he started when a low but familiar voice came from behind him. Yes, it said assertively. He turned around. Flickering in the flames was an ogre woman. She was tall, and she wore a leather shirt and a long skirt of grasses that brushed against the floor, creating swishing sounds as she walked forwards towards the fire. Abio, he said gesturing to the fire and making room for the ogre woman to sit down. Welcome. She made no move to join them. You are the one to bring magic to our kind, she said in the same strong, assertive tone, or else you are closer than anyone has come before. You will find the book. Io cocked his head to the side as he looked at her. And how do you know that? he asked. Because I am here, she said. As she stood there, her shadow outlined by the flames of their campfire, she looked rather regal. And I was the one who hid the book here, many years ago. You should know, your father was there. He must have told you the tale. Io was already shaking his head before she was done speaking. No, you can't have been the one to hide the book. My father did tell me about it, but it was very clear that the book was hidden by an elf. Abiel laughed a deep, dark chuckle. Yes, that would be what your father told you. He would have told you that I was a small, dark-skinned, elven man who fought bravely alongside the ogres against the atrocities of man. I would guess that he told you I looked rather like this. It looked as if her body was compressing and her features were morphing, and after a brief moment, an elf stood in front of Io. The others gave no reaction to the newcomer other than courteous nods of the head. 
The morphing of the female ogre into the elven man seemed to make no impression on them whatsoever. How, how did you do that? Io stuttered. Magic, the elf responded simply. So what are you? A human? An elf? Something else that I cannot name? I am an ogre, just like you, the elf responded. No, you are not. No ogre born in the last 300 years has the ability to do magic. That is true. Then how? Think, she barked sharply as she morphed back into the ogre. If no ogre born in the last 300 years has the ability to do magic, and you just saw me, an ogre, do magic, then what is the obvious conclusion? That you? Yes, she said, cutting him off. I am the last living ogre from the magical era. You know about human magic. Weak and material, or destructive and potent. You know about elven magic. Communal, yet seemingly invasive. Well, there is another kind of magic. Our magic. Ogre magic. It is a magic that allows us to change. It is personal, deeply personal, and it can't be learned out of study like the Botsarian fools think it can. It can only be learned through proper introspection and connection with one's inner self. And the information in this book will help our race regain that ability? Aya was nearly shaking with excitement. He had found an ogre who could do magic. The secret really did lie within his grasp. His heart plummeted back to earth with Abio's next three words. I don't know. What? Io demanded. What do you mean you don't know? I mean that I don't know, she responded calmly. Many years ago, I lost all memory. I lost all memory of magic, of language, of the truth. What I managed to relearn, I learned from the elves. But the words in the book, alas. I cannot read them. I have forgotten how. So why am I here? Io asked. What is Embrosk supposed to do? Abia smiled. Embrosk will find the book. That is his destiny. He will find it, but he cannot be trusted with it. He is selfish. He believes he is entitled to knowledge simply for its own sake. That is why you and Calix and Kiana and Castor must take it. Only then can we restore the magic of the ogres and help me remember all that I forgot. And then he will stumble back to Sandum with his useless pile of potions books, Castor said, with just a hint of malice, gesturing to Embrosk's sack of books which Io had carried from his hut. Io looked about. It was too much to process. Why can't you just give us the book, he asked. You're the one who hid it, or so my father said. I cast a spell to hide the book from the humans as they attacked, intending to hide it from everyone and anyone that would seek it. The spell was too strong. Not only did it sap my memory of the book, but it sapped all other memories as well. Abio trailed off for a moment, staring off into the space over Io's shoulder, seemingly determined not to make eye contact. The ogre took a deep breath before continuing. 
However, I trapped myself through the history, talking to old wives, storytellers, bards, and historians. Wherever I showed up, so did the book, and I knew I had to get it back, that it would hold the key to my lost memory. One man, an old ogre on his deathbed, told me that there was a loophole in the spell. You see, magic is strong, but it's not that strong. It can never outmatch destiny. He told me that one who was destined, truly destined, to find the book would be able to. Other humans, powerful and knowledgeable, were drawn by that sense of destiny. They all failed. But now it seems that Embroth, with another's help, will be the one to find the book. Io sat there, stunned. His mouth was dry with excitement, and his eyes sparkled with tears. The elves around him were uncharacteristically silent, perhaps understanding the gravity that this moment held in Io's life. However, a smile had begun to emerge on Abio's face. Anyway, she said, now you know why you are here, and you know why Embrosk will soon be here. Get that book. Do it for our kind. With that, before Io had the chance to protest, Abio took off running towards the edge of the cliff, faster than Io had never seen another ogre run. Just before she would have fallen to her death, she disappeared into thin air. At that moment, Io heard footsteps behind him yet again. However, this time he could hear two people, one who treaded lightly on large feet, and another who had a smaller but heavier step. Io, the voice was the low growl of an ogre. I've heard about you. Io turned to see two figures flickering in the firelight. One was a small but muscular ogre with finely pointed horns. The other was a small, scrawny human, a strange white lyre slung over his back. And I heard you might have my books, said Embrosk in his high-pitched yet haggard voice. On the way to Invigeri, Felon filled Embrosk in on the details of his journey from Botseri to Sandum to the fallen kingdom of Cadman. Finally, after walking for nearly 16 hours with only one quick stop to eat, they arrived at the foot of the mountain as the sun began to set. The mountain was roughly a quarter the size of Botseri, yet the climb seemed a far more intimidating prospect. The black rock of the ruins, illuminated by the orange-pink glow of the sunset, would have been beautiful under any other circumstance. Yet now, his path forward shrouded in mystery, they only served to fill Embrask with dread. The climb up the stairs was as painful as it was precarious. Every step was accompanied by a dull but potent ache that filled Embrosk's legs from his calves up to his hips. Felon led the way on his nimble feet, stopping every now and then to allow Embrosk to catch up. It was dark by the time they reached the top of the mountain. Cautiously, they entered the ruins together, only to have their gaze drawn by the light of a small flickering fire and the four figures that formed a loose circle around it. Even in the darkness, they were unmistakable. Three elves and one gangly, red-headed ogre. 
it seemed that Io would have a further part to play after all. Io and Felon greeted each other warmly, and Embrosk, unsure of what to do, extended an arm for a standard ogre greeting. Io grasped the arm tightly. He seemed to be shaking with a nervous excitement. Embrosk, however, was focused on the elves. Kiana, the one who had invaded his mind. Kallax, the one that he had attacked. And the other one, young and brash in demeanor. And as Io recounted his tale to Felon, Embrosk approached the gathered elves hesitantly. He wasn't sure what to say. He also wasn't sure what he could say in front of his ogre companions. Kiana waved a hand at the fire, and Embrosk understood. Unable to protest, Embrosk stared into the flames, and he felt her mind connect with his. And through their connection, he understood that his attack on Calix had not yet been revealed to Io. It was an insurance policy, just like his stolen potions book. It was a threat to be revealed only if Embrosk did not relinquish the Book of Wiota once he had it in his grasp. The connection was severed, and Embrosk turned his attention back to the ogre's conversation. Felon, we have to find this book, Io finished, his wide blue eyes shining in the light of the fire. All those years ago, I was told that we could do it. I was told it was inevitability. We have this opportunity now and we cannot let Abio down. Felon's face remained impassive and unreadable. I agree, he rumbled. We need to find this book. As Io and Felon spoke, Ambrosk sat quietly thinking. He took the new information about Abio and mentally filed it. His understanding of magic was increasing with every word they said. He had studied for years, Yet still, his magical knowledge was only a fraction of that which could be obtained. He was unsure that this book contained the secret that Io hoped it did. In truth, he doubted it still. The secret to ogre magic was far too lost. But who knew what secrets it contained? The prospect was tantalizing. The true nature of magic. The question that had plagued Embrosk since his youth, finally within reach but how to get it? He thought about the strange liar. What was it guiding him to? If he understood the physical properties of the instrument, perhaps he would understand. After all, all he needed was to understand the scientific process of this particular magic. He looked over the strange cryptic elves who still sat in the silence, doubtlessly communicating through their magical mental connection. As if he had summoned it, the truth bubbled to the front of his mind, the ancient legend that fit perfectly. Almost without thinking about it, Embrosk shrugged off the strap to the lyre and held it in his lap. Io, still talking exuberantly, did not notice. Neither did Felon. All three elves, however, turned to Embrosk. It was not surprising. He ran his fingers over the engraved carvings of the elf bone lyre, which had the power to enter one's brain, gift energy, and change motivation. 
He ran one finger along one golden string, made from the ancient horn of a Zlatarog. The Zlatarog had been extinct for hundreds of years. A large beast with a pure white coat and a golden horn, the Zlatarog was an elusive prize for any hunter. Driven into a deep, unending obsession with the beast, an elvish woman named Isa spent over a decade tracking it all over the continent, until one day she cornered it just miles west of Botseri Mountain. Both the magnificent beast and its treasure-mad hunter perished in the ensuing battle. Paired together, her bones and his horn created the instrument that rested in Embrosk's hands. But how would that help him find this ancient book of Wiota? The answer rang through his mind with Abio's voice. Listen and you will know the way. That was the key. Months upon months of walking, of following the strange music, letting it guide his feet and take him towards his destiny. And now, here it was. He just needed to listen. He stroked the strings, hearing their familiar ringing warmth. Listen, and you will know the way. Listen hard, and you will know the why. Listen hard. For months he had let the music guide him. He had been passive. He had been resistant. Now the simple sound of the strings brought his mind back to the music. As if he had been practicing for years, he felt his fingers drift to the strings, and he started to play the delectable chords that had defined his existence since he had left Botere. And what was that? There was something else, something deeper, something that rang gloriously throughout his mind and heart. It felt so familiar. How hadn't he noticed it before? He felt his mouth open, and in a clear, high voice, he began to sing the old ogre lyrics that he had never before noticed let alone processed. Io's exclamatory sentences were cut short. Felon's gaze whipped towards his human friend. The elves for once found no humor. They simply listened to the harsh, guttural words, somehow made beautiful by a music that was sung straight from the heart. None of the onlookers knew what it meant. They did not know that the words Ambrosk sung told each of their futures as well as his own. But he knew exactly what it meant. It guided him towards his treasure, and it told him what would need to be sacrificed for the sake of an unknown but potentially boundless knowledge. Look, the night has passed quickly, and the moon is high in the sky. And so, yet again, I must pause the telling of this tale. But fear not. When seven days have passed, we may reunite here by the flickering light of the fire to continue Embrosk's story. In the meantime, spread the word that this is a place where stories are told. Tell your friends near and far that there is room for them around this hearth so we can continue to tell 
this wondrous tale of gold, bone, and leather. Before I sign off today, I want to remind all of you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to my website, bensbookshack.com, to check out some of the amazing original artwork that accompanies this podcast. It really helps bring the scenes to life, and it was done by the amazingly talented Celeste Schiff. If you want to see any of her other work, her portfolio is linked in the show notes down below. As always, a major thank you to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. Anais, Tasha, Kira, and Madison, I'm looking at you guys. And last but not least, thank you to all of you guys who are here listening to Embrosk's story. Truly, nothing could make me happier. And I hope that you'll join me next week as I continue to tell this story of gold, bones, and leather. The Gold Bones and Leather Podcast is brought to you by Ben's Bookshack. Everything that you've heard on this episode, including music, was written, recorded, and edited by me. I can be reached at contact at bensbookshack.com.